difficult for us to wrap our minds around this concept of heaven. It's difficult for you and I to imagine a place where the angels and all creatures created by God just praising him. When you look in Revelation chapter 4, you get this picture of vision as John had of these four living creatures who just praise God, holy, 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 Lord God almighty. And to hear that for eternity. And the myriad of angels surrounding the throne and the 24 elders and the souls under the altar, all those who have died for the cause of Christ, who had died faithfully in service to God, singing praises and glorifying God. We had a sing here Friday night. And I don't know how you could leave that sing without your heart being uplifted. We had probably between preacher's count, 70, probably closer to 50. But anyway, we had a pretty good number for our first sing. And the singing was wonderful. To hear the voices of the young children and the older people that were here. And, and all of us lifting our voices in praise to God in anticipation in many ways of that eternal home to God. I look forward to that, and I hope you do too, or probably you wouldn't be here if you weren't some way interested in going to heaven. But are you interested enough to take someone with you? Are you interested enough in enjoying the bliss and the joy of heaven that this is so good, that this is so wonderful, that I want to take someone with me? And that's what our lesson is about this morning. It's about why Christians should be involved with evangelism, and not should, must. If I was to ask you, what was the first thing that God required of Abraham? Many people would say, well, God required him to tend the garden and to keep it. That was Abraham's only job, his first job. But in our text that Brother John read, did I say Abraham? Adam. <laughs> Who was it that said, what you think I said is not really what I said, and what I said is not what I really, it seemed like he was a president, but anyway. <laughs> you got to be a certain age to remember that. God gave Adam one job, or he, his first job was in the text we read, to be fruitful and to multiply. Now we all understand that. We know what all that's about. Adam and Eve, he wanted Adam and Eve to replenish the earth. He wanted them to bring forth children. He wanted them to populate the earth. 
And as he said to the animals and every other, even the plants, be fruitful and multiply. You've got to spread out. And we understand that. And we're, you know, a large part all about that. But I want to suggest to you this morning that God intended that to be more than just the physical aspect of populating the earth. Turn up with me over to Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, of course, Isaiah's prophesying to the northern kingdom. And he talks to them, prophesies to them about God's vineyard. Notice what he says. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. He's saying, here it is. My beloved built this vineyard. He prepared the land. You know, sometimes if, you, if you're familiar with farming, when you start a new, you're going to plant a new area, you got to go through, you got to clear out all the big rocks. And then you might run your plow through there and you clear out the next bigger rocks and you're clearing out rocks. You're preparing that land. Sometimes I saw where Brother Phil this past week went and, and put some special dirt on his mother's garden so it could prepare the soil so it would be more fruitful. And, and that's what, what the, God's saying here. I've prepared this vineyard. I've done everything. I put a tower around it. I've got a place here to, when the harvest comes. And I, I did everything that I could to get this garden so it brought forth this vineyard, so it brought forth good grapes, but it didn't. It brought forth wild grapes. Oh, now, or and now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, I, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please tell me, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, it shall be burned, and break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will command the clouds that they rain no more on it. God wasn't talking about grapes here. He was talking about the spiritual fruit of Judah. I've done all this for you. I've brought you to a land that flows with milk and honey. I defeated your enemies for you. I've brought you to this wonderful place. And you brought forth wild grapes. So, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. And if you're familiar with the history of Judah, God let Babylon come in and took destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, 
took the Judeans captivity and when they came back only a small remnant returned. Well that's the Old Testament. Turn over to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples there, and he says in verse, beginning in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. This, but this, my Father, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. What's Jesus saying there? He's the vine, we're attached to him. And he expects fruit. And if we don't bear fruit, then he's going to remove us from that vine. Over in Luke chapter 8, Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And he talks about, as he says, beginning in verse 11 there, he says that the seed is the word of God. But as he moves through that description, as he's explaining the parable to his disciples, he says the good soil is a good heart that brings forth fruit. Now those of us that struggle with evangelism, here's how we make ourselves feel well, feel good about it. Well, I'm bringing forth fruit, but it's just my personal growth. And so in my personal growth, if I grow as a Christian, then I'm bringing forth fruit. And I'm sufficing, you know, I'm fulfilling what God says here. In some ways you are, and I am. But if we only grow individually, and we don't grow numerically. What's going to happen to the church of our Lord? On the day of judgment, am I going to say to the Lord, well, Lord, you know, you knew what I was like before. I was a most vile character. I was engaged in all kinds of worldly things. And when I gave my life to you through baptism, you saw this change in my life and you saw me grow and you saw me study your word and I proclaimed your word and I became an elder and and I, you know, I just grew as, really grew as a Christian. You don't think the Lord's going to say to me, did you share your faith? You and I, as New Testament Christians, must share the gospel so that we can perpetuate the Lord's church. If you and I don't share it, if we don't open our mouths and share it with others, 
the church will fail. It will die in this area. Someone has to talk to someone else about Jesus. You know, the ancient Jews believed that they were God's people just because they were born a descendant of Abraham. You know, I'm a Christian because my grandmama was a Christian. I'm a Christian because my granddaddy was a Christian, or my mom was a Christian, or my daddy was a Christian. And sometimes I think that you and I develop that attitude. Well, because my parents were Christians and my grandparents were Christians, well, then I'm good with God. But that's not the case. Turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 3. Notice what John the Immerser says, beginning in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. What was John saying to him? You, you claim that your relationship with God is because you're a descendant from Abraham? God can make descendants of Abraham from rocks. What did he make Adam out of? Dust to the earth. The true descendant of Abraham is a descendant of faith. And when we look through the New Testament, we see that Christianity is a taught religion. In John chapter 6, verse 44 through 46, no one can come to the Father, to, uh, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to me. And I will raise him up in that last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. In other words, we're here. You and I are here this moment at this time in history because someone cared enough about our souls to tell us about Jesus Christ and his church. Whether it was your parent or my parent or a friend or a neighbor or a grandparent, not one of us here was born into the body of Christ, physically. Someone cared enough about us and wanted us to go to heaven like they planned on going to heaven. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, the Hebrew writer talks, he repeats the prophecy of, of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34 where Jeremiah says no more will anyone say no to the Lord because everyone will have that word of God written upon their heart and, and what Jeremiah was prophesying is that that it wouldn't be that you're born a child of God and then you had to be taught of him taught about him but no you had to be taught about God to become a child of his and if you and I don't share the gospel, if you and I don't tell others about Jesus Christ, how can the church perpetuate? 
how can we be assured that it's going to be here, the congregation here in Auburndale, and 20 years, 30 years, even 10 years? All of us, all of us know of congregations in the area where they're down to 5, 10, 15, 20 people. And most of them are in their retirement years. They didn't get that way overnight. And they won't come out of that overnight. So you and us, I must share the gospel in order to perpetuate the church, to make sure that it continues, that the next generation has an opportunity to go to heaven and enjoy the blessings of God. The second reason that you and I must share the gospel is to preserve our own salvation. You know, God's pretty serious about keeping and doing what he says. When we look back at Deuteronomy chapter 28, and, and we see this chapter as God's, uh, Moses is talking to the children of Israel, and, and he starts out with them, hey, he says, if you're careful to keep the commandments of God, and for 14 verses he lists, all these wonderful blessings. I mean, he tells them there'll be, there'll be abundance in their fields. There'll be peace. Uh, if there is war, there'll be vict victory over that. I mean, all these blessings that he has. He says, just be careful to keep my commandments. But then in verse 15, he says, but if you don't. And then he lists some curses that are horrible. He says an army is going to come up against you. And he says mothers, it will be so difficult that mothers will eat their children. I think God's pretty serious about his people keeping his commands. In Mark, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, I've looked at that verse numerous times. And there's no wiggle room there. There's no... Well, how can I look at this differently? You know, there's some verses where, you know, you study them and there's a lot of different judgments about because it's hard to determine exactly what the Lord meant in that verse and in that context. When you get to Mark 16, verse 15, there's no wiggle room. Go and teach. Go and baptize. Matthew 28, verse 18, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we, well, those were the apostles. 
You know, God picked them. They were special guys. They, yeah, I mean, you know, they were fishermen, you know, and, and I mean, they were definitely the theological giants of their time. No. They were like you and I. Matthew was a tax collector. He may have had some beyond basic education, but Peter, James, and John were just were fishermen. Probably not highly educated. And God saw something in them and chose them. So they were just, you know, they were special. God chose, they were special. Turn over to Acts chapter 8 and look beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. Sometimes when you, when you think, okay, you know, I, I'm just not capable. I, I just can't do this. It, it's not me. And believe me, this sermon's coming to me too. This sermon's for me. And you just be happen to be hearing it. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Whose death? Stephen's death. Stephen was stoned. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Notice, they were all scattered except the apostles. The apostles remained in Jerusalem, in Judea. The, those that had been converted shortly before that were all scattered. Now notice verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere growing in their faith. Becoming more mature as Christians. Is that what it says? What's it say, Jim? Preaching the gospel. Now, these were all theological giants. They all had degrees from the Florida School of Preaching or Fried Hardeman or whatever that may be, and they had masters and doctorates. I mean, and obviously they had years and years and years to hear about Jesus and who he was and, and what he did. Wasn't the case at all, was it? It was people who were saved and realized that they had been given something from God so precious. They just wanted to tell someone else about it. They just wanted to tell someone else, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Do you know what he did for you and me? Are telling how much they knew about that. But what they knew, they were willing to share. Why? Because God commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply. They got it. They understood that being fruitful and multiplying applied a lot more to spiritual matters than it did to physical matters. They got the fact that I've got to bring forth good grapes and not sour grapes. They understood that if I'm attached to the vine, I better bear fruit. Or I'm going to be cut off and I'm going to be burned. Christians must share the gospel to perpetuate the church, 
to preserve their own salvation, and thirdly, to portray Christ. One of the fundamental commands that Jesus gave was to be a light to the world. He says, you got a light, you know, and we live in a time where you flip a switch and we, it's like daylight in here, pretty close to it. But in ancient times, or you go to Ghana and, and the power's out, someone will have a little tin can and it'll have a lid on it and up from it will come this wick about the size of my thumb and it's got kerosene and you'll see this yellow smoking flame. That probably, not the can, but that probably approximates what they had in the first century, a very dim, smoky light. He says, when you got a light, you don't put something over it because you need the light. And he says, we're to be a light to the world. How can I portray Jesus to some those around me if I don't share what he's done for me? If I don't tell others about him? You know, I think basically I'm a good person. You may have different thoughts on that, and I'd be willing to entertain those. But I think basically I'm a good person. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. Shirley beats me up, but I don't beat her. No, no. <laughs> I don't beat my wife. I don't kick the dog. I, I mean, I don't, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I, you know, I'm basically a good person in the eyes of the world. And you know what? Most of the people that you know are good people. We don't hang around with people that are addicted to drugs or people that are prostitutes or, or people that, that are clearly engaged in, in unlawful activity. We don't hang around with them. And so if we're good people and we hang around with good people, what kind of light are we showing them? Because they're doing that too. Why do they need Jesus? Well, I mean, I do pretty much the way Bob does and Shirley. You know, I, I'm nice to my wife. I keep my house up, do all those things that good people do. What sets me apart? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I have to show, even though I'm basically a good person, there's something different about me. Not odd, though many may think that. <clears throat> but different in the fact of my relationship with God. Where am I every time the saints meet? I'm here. Where are you? We're blessed here that most of you are here every time the saints meet. But if you're not, could you be? Do I study my Bible? I do. I've got to preach. I've got to teach class. But what about you? Do you study your Bible? Do you read your Bible? Do you know things in the Bible that you can share? In other words, being just a good person 
is required and is necessary. But that's not sufficient if we're going to portray Jesus. When that clerk at Publix sees us being not rude, but not nice to her because I'm having a bad day, does that portray Jesus? When I talk about getting even to someone else for what they've done and people hear me, is that portraying Jesus? In other words, to evangelize the world, we have to portray Jesus to those who do not know him. And to those who do know him. There's a story told. I guess it's in the Museum of Natural. It's not a story. But anyway, in the Museum of Natural Science in Chicago, they have a checkerboard up there. And if you're familiar with the checkerboard, it has eight squares vertically or vertically, eight squares horizontally. And in one of the corners, they have a, a seed of rice. And they said, if you started with that seed of rice and you started across and you doubled that seed with every square and you moved back and forth like this. He said, the, the question is, how, how many seeds of rice or kernels of rice would you have when you got to the end? What do you think? Bushel? Ten bushels? A hundred bushels? If you took that kernel of rice and the next one you went to, the next one you went four, the next one you went eight, the next one you went 16, the next one you went 32, when you got to the end, according to that display, you would have enough rice to cover the country of India six foot deep. You think about that. India has the second greatest number of people in the world, right underneath China, and they're close to overcoming or going ahead of China. That if you did that, you would have enough rice to cover the country of Israel, or India six foot deep. Now let's put it in this context here. If you took and you studied with one person and you brought that person to Christ, that person obeyed the gospel. And if you and that person studied for six months, in other words, you really tried to bring them to a knowledge of the Lord. And then in that next six months, you and he both, you or her both, studied with someone else and brought them to the gospel. And for six months, you spent time with them. And then after that six months, the both of you, or the four of you, studied with someone else, and you brought four more people. In 17 years, there would be more than six billion Christians because you took the time to study and share Christ with someone else. Hard to imagine, isn't it? 
Hard to imagine if just each one does a little bit how we could change the world. We must evangelize to perpetuate Christ's church, to preserve our own salvation, and to portray, portray a loving Savior to those around us. If you're here this morning and you're not a New Testament Christian, we invite you to become one. It's very simple. It's just to follow the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is, is when a person comes to faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that they truly believe that, then of course that person is going to adjust their life according to what Jesus would have us to do. The Bible calls that repentance. In other words, it's a mental decision. I've decided from this point on, I'm only going to do what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to follow his commands. I'm going to try to do his will in all aspects of my life. Whatever it takes, I am humbling myself. I am now a servant of Jesus Christ. And I do that willingly. That's repentance. Then and only then can we confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I can't confess Jesus Christ as my Lord if I've never repented. I'm still boss. Instead of Jesus being boss. Well, what about my past sins? I've decided to follow Jesus. Everything I do is Jesus. Well, what about my past sins? The Bible says that when we are buried with Christ through baptism, we arise to walk in newness of life. A new creature. Our sins, God has chosen at that point to say, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. They are washed by the blood of the Lamb. We'd like to help you to do that if that is your need. And if you are a New Testament Christian and evangelism hasn't at least been a part of your life, think about that. Think about that. There's a lot of ways that we can miss heaven. Don't let evangelism and sharing a blessing be one of them. We can help in any way once you come as we sing this song of encouragement.